0: Welcome to the Talent Acquisition Innovators Radio, the podcast for talent acquisition aficionados, HR lovers and recruitment professionals out there looking to get inspired and challenge traditional approaches to hiring. Here, we'll discuss the ins and outs of the recruitment process, engaging fresh talent, managing tough internal hiring dilemmas, and of course, the future of talent acquisition. I'm your host, Sim Samra from Recruitee. I'll be quizzing the experts, asking the burning questions, and of course, bringing you great guests each episode. By the end of every episode, we'll offer a few hypotheticals, and of course, tips to take back to your team and workplace. Inclusive workplaces understand the importance of intersectionality and how employees' multiple identities define their experiences in and outside of work. Today, I'm joined by Luis Bracamontes, Senior Social Media Specialist at Tickets, to discuss this further. Uh, Luis, do you want to quickly introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Hello, Sim. Thank you very much. I'm really, really glad to be here So my name is Luis Bracamontes. I am a queer Mexican. I work with digital content and marketing, specifically with social media. I currently work at Tickets, which is an online platform that offers tickets to museums and attractions all over the world. It's one of the top 50 hottest startups in in Amsterdam, and we're growing really fast. So with big growth, also implies a lot of uh, more employees, uh, more diverse environment, and the challenges to make this environment safer and more inclusive for more people.
0: Excellent. Um, Now I wanna start off by um, sharing a statement with you that I wanted to get your thoughts on. So uh, the statement is, companies need to use quotas in their hiring process in order to promote diversity and inclusion. So, do you agree or disagree with this statement, and why?
1: I think it's a really gray area. So I would say yes mm-hmm. and no. Uh, if your company needs uh, needs to do it only to comply with a certain standards or to comply with government regulations, then I think that's the wrong start. If you determine quotas uh, internally to provide more opportunities to employees or applicants, that would normally not get the opportunities, then that's a step in the right direction. And this is mostly because a lot of areas of expertise or uh, industries have an uneven distribution of applicants and people who are specialized in that, whether it's gender, nationality, race, there are these uh, disparities. And not only that, also on the recruitment side, there are several biases or also in the policy level, maybe a specific country gives certain tax breaks or certain facilities for, to hire international employees, mm-hmm. uh, employees that require a work visa, and other countries with other policies may block it. So it is a really great area that if you as a company want to be more inclusive, then you definitely need to take proactive steps. and one of this is uh, quotas. So that's a way to ensure that regardless of all these biases and all these limitations of your environment and um, the biases of your own employees in recruitment, you can still give equal opportunities to everybody.
0: I think there's a lot of companies who are trying to ramp up their uh, diversity and inclusion strategies by enforcing quotas because it's almost this quick fix solution sometimes. But I think for me, one of the arguments I have with instituted quotas is that, yes, it can potentially bring in diversity at the entry level, but maintaining it higher up the corporate ladder is a new challenge in itself. So I'm talking about the head honchos of companies, for instance. Uh, you want to see more of the faces that look like yourself, especially if you're of a minority status. Is there anything that can be done to achieve this?
1: You're very right. If you as a company only want the diversity as um, the diverse employees as tokens for your uh, PR activities or your PR materials, then definitely not. I think what you mentioned is really important, not only having a diverse workforce, but also having people of color, black people, women, queer people in positions of power, in positions of leadership. That is a more structural problem that is definitely not a quick fix. It's uh, also about understanding all the 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 business and financial opportunities that uh, having uh, different voices and different perspectives may have to your own uh, company. So it is a matter of leadership, a matter of structure, a matter of recruiting, and also um, uh, a matter of uh, internally how uh, your company facilitates these spaces for black and people of color and women and people of uh, queer people, people of trans experience to thrive and to climb up the professional ladder.
0: I wanted to quickly talk to you about how one can address the issue of discrimination in the workplace. How can we better educate ourselves in this space Are there any training, resources, courses that you've taken or know about on equality and diversity, LGBTQ plus issues or HR best practices that you can share?
1: So a bit about my background. I worked with uh, the organization It Gets Better Mexico, which is a branch of uh, It Gets Better U.S., which is... Mm -hmm. um, an international, now international campaign that promotes positive stories of resilience in the queer community. We know that one out of four LGBTQ people are more prone to commit suicide. And this organization intends to share stories of people who have gone through struggles of identity and acceptance, personal and social, or in their families, and telling them, it gets better and you just need to hold on a little bit longer. So I got mm-hmm. a lot of uh, training there uh, w- w- with my team and with my organization since, uh, regarding sensibility to the otherness, to minorities. Furthermore, now in, in I live in Rotterdam and I'm part of uh, the, the, the queer community of Rotterdam who is constantly talking about uh, matters of uh, racism and discrimination, uh, mental health, matters of identity, so it has been an ongoing training, and and the training will never end. There are some initiatives uh, on the corporate side that can help with trainings um, in case your uh, your management or your employees need to address a more uh, corporate training on the HR perspective or uh, how to how to interact with uh, colleagues that belong to minority groups regarding lgbtq people there are organizations like the international lgbtq travel association iglta Mm -hmm. um, which is mostly for uh, organizations within tourism and culture i believe that there are multiple organizations depending on the area that you want to address when it comes to discrimination regarding race is a more sensitive topic. I don't know any organization at the top of my mind that could address that, but um, research is encouraged depending on your company and your industry because it's it's really necessary to know how to address these this situations. It's all about the nuances. Nobody is openly racist in the workspace nowadays. And so mm-hmm. a lot of microaggressions or unfair treatment may present and it needs to be treated on a one Basis, but my initial advice would be if a queer person or a person of color, a black person, a, a woman addresses a situation, the first response should be to believe and to acknowledge and validate the situation. Where mm-hmm. do you take it from there should be addressed on a one case basis, but the first step should always be I address it. I acknowledge it. I validate it as a company.
0: I think this uh, this moves into my next question of how employers can actually cultivate an intersectional workplace because, you know, periodic training and other initiatives are great, but these are nothing without regular reminders, you know? So companies must have clear, well-communicated policies on anti-discrimination. This means calling out discrimination when you see it and following up on policies perhaps even establish networks to support the development Mm -hmm. and opportunity available to minority groups, such as uh, the LGBTQ community, black and female employees. Do you have any further thoughts on this?
1: There can be a lot of things that companies take into account right from the moment you start recruiting a person. For a lot of uh, straight, cis people, this may not be meaningful, but for people who are queer or non-binary pronouns and gender identity is really important. Mm -hmm. So if you, as a company, start recruiting someone and the first question you ask is, uh, what are your pronouns? Maybe some of the listeners may may or may not know that uh, some non-binary pronouns that people go for are they, them, instead of he, him, or she, her. So for me, as a non-binary person that comes to this company, Hearing that the person who is interviewing me asks for this question that validates my identity instantly makes me feel safer and more seen and validated. Mm -hmm. Companies could also include this in the signatures of the company emails, name, position, pronouns, contact details. It's a simple change that has the world of difference for the people who are not overly represented by a heteronormative patriarchal system. Other things mm-hmm. would be, when it comes to race, having uh, very clear and open guidelines that this will need not be tolerated and having channels where uh, non-white people can address the situations, mostly the microaggressions that can be really hard to pinpoint So having channels, internal channels, like um, a company confidant actually has some power over the company, having open communication with HR, uh, anonymity, making sure that whenever one of these situations arise, you as a company have a policy and a system to act on it and validate it and not leave it hanging because that, that in the end will make minorities in your company to feel, I'm not going to be hurt. I'm not going to address this because it's going to be worse. It's, people are going to retaliate. Mostly if it's a, um, a power relation with a team lead or with a boss. So that's really important to secure that from the HR perspective as well. Like There is a safe, safe place for you to communicate your pain, your trauma, your uh, inconformity, your opinions in general.
0: Is the onus on the employer to set that up, or do the employees need to be the ones asking to create this safe place, online or offline, that allows uh, continuing dialogue and encourages good decisions within a company? Like, who who should be pushing for that?
1: That's a really good question, uh, because of course it cannot only come up from a top down. On the one side, a lot of the grassroots movements have more efficacy in the end because it has the legitimacy in in the people and the groups that they're addressing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of companies have uh, networks of POC people or networks of uh, LGBTQ people internally, and they have their own agendas to try to make their own workspace uh, better Mm -hmm. for the otherness, for... Diversity. So, in the, uh, on that side, yes, the initiative should also come from the employees. However, if the company doesn't provide an environment where open communication and feedback or even criticism can bloom and be heard, then these initiatives will not flourish as much as, as it could. If you, as a company, can provide this open space for communication where opinions different than the management will not be punished, uh, opinions different than the status quo will be heard and considered, then mm-hmm. these initi- initiatives from your own employees can flourish and can present. But it needs to be a mix and it needs to come from both sides.
0: Okay. Um, we're currently experiencing a heated political climate, especially around the Black Lives Matter movement. So should recruiting professionals be addressing or holding active conversations on sensitive topics such as race and bias? And if so, what should the approach be to do this?
1: Definitely. The answer is yes. (laughs) I cannot say that that I'm the right person to talk about this because I am a white passing Latino and I have my own privilege about that. And the -hmm. Black Lives Matter movement, despite the fact that it addresses racism, that that can be experienced by any non-white person, black people and people of color can have um, extra layers of trauma and discrimination. So I cannot say what is the best thing to be done. What I can say is that it definitely needs to be addressed and companies need to educate themselves and find trainings to address this. One thing that should be avoided at all costs is asking your black colleague or your black employee, what can I do to make it better? Because they are already experiencing this collective historical and daily trauma of of Mm -hmm. discrimination and racism. And you cannot ask uh, a victim or an oppressed person, how can things be fixed? Mm -hmm. How can I do something better? It's not their job to educate you. It's not their job to find a solution. So if you as a company want to address this, educate yourself and your employees, get a consultant, probably like invest in it, invest in the community you're trying to address, but do not try to outsource uh, the solutions from your own uh, black employees. I can say that after this uh, Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of conversations have started on a personal level, interpersonal level, on a family level, on a company level, on an industry level, and that's beautiful because we need to start addressing these conversations. At least internally now at Tickets, we started developing a series of guidelines for intersectional communication. How can we internally always make sure that we are sensitive whenever we talk about these topics, whenever we address it, making sure that now that you're talking about quotas, In my personal case, I am in charge of influencer marketing and a a clear action that I can take into account is making sure that black and and people of color are represented with our roster of influencers. When Mm. a lot of the influencer um, databases and agencies that are around here in Europe tend to always offer white influencers and male influencers Mm. In some industries so at least in my case i can take that decision to proactively choose to uh, engage with black and poc communities not to tokenize them for our Mm -hmm. marketing purposes no but but by investing and connecting with those communities and because representation matters representations matters a lot and if everybody in the company starts to rethink how can you address the situations from your own role from a ux designer point uh the other day in the company uh one of the um, uh, of the heads of product was saying how they are actively trying to make our app and our website more inclusive to to colorblind people which mm-hmm. is something that you don't actively uh think about right away it's it's Something that you need to choose to think about if you are not part of that minority group.
0: Yeah. Lewis, we're almost out of time. Do you have any final words that you'd like to share on intersectionality in the workplace?
1: Yes, to everybody who is listening, intersectionality is a journey, it's not just a concept, it's also a mindset. Try to think. How many layers of uh, identity can a person have? And what are your own privileges that you have over other people? And it's not that uh, you are a bad person for having privileges. Everybody has a certain level of privilege. But how can you use your privilege in your personal life and in the workplace to make the lives of other people better? That's my invitation.
0: That's a, a nice way to end our podcast. Lewis, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much, Sim.
0: Thanks again for joining us on the Talent Acquisition Innovators Radio. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And of course, if you did, feel free to share it on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, or wherever you're most active. And if you'd like to be updated on when our next podcast is going to be released, you can sign up at blog.recruity.com podcast. See you in the next one.